0: You all right? All right, let's get to work. You ready to get to work? Habakkuk chapter 1. If you'll find your way to Habakkuk chapter 1, that'll be our text. We started a series last Sunday called Uncertain. And we're looking at the issue of when you face a time of uncertainty in your life. Maybe as a church, you wonder, what does the future hold? Maybe in your marriage, your, your, your family, uh, whatever it may be, there's times we go through where we just don't have all the answers. How are we to respond? What are we supposed to do? And the book of Habakkuk in the Old Testament gives us some answers to how we are to approach the uncertainties of life. And so we're going to look at Habakkuk chapter 1 beginning at verse 12 and we'll get down into chapter 2 today also. I'm going to ask if you're able to stand to please do so for the honor of reading God's Word. This is our weekly reminder that this Word comes with the very authority of God. Habakkuk chapter 1, beginning at verse 12, this is God's Word to us. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook and drags them out with his net and gathers them in his dragnet. And so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at the watchtower and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me, what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me. Write the vision, make it plain on tablet, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It's not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. This is God's Word. Would you pray with me? Father, I ask now that Your Spirit would come and lead us into truth. There are so many people here today that need not only hear, but receive Your Word. Would You plant it now in our hearts for Your glory? In Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated. Everything's amazing right now, but nobody's happy. That was a comment by a comedian on one of the late night talk shows with Conan O'Brien some time ago. And, And what the comedian was trying to describe is how you and I live at a time in history where we have the most amazing technology, and yet we complain about it all the time. He said, for instance, quote, When I grew up, we had a rotary phone. How many of you, show of hands, remember the rotary phone? Anybody still have one? Don't admit that, okay? (laughs) He said you would stand next to it and actually dial the numbers. Do you realize how primitive that is? You were making sparks inside a phone. And if the person had two zeros in their number, you hated them. But now we have cell phones. And when they don't work instantly, we get mad and scream, come on! We can't even wait two seconds for the signal to come back from outer space. (laughs) They gave another example. He said, flying is the worst. People come back from flights and act like it's a horror story. It goes like this. It was the worst day of my life. Like it took us 20 minutes to board the plane. And then when we actually got on the runway, they made us wait another 40 minutes. Really? Well, what happened next? Did you fly through the air incredibly like a bird? Did you participate in the miracle of human flight? You were flying. Like everybody on the plane should have been saying, oh my goodness, I'm flying. You were in a chair in the sky. Yeah, but it doesn't go back far enough. (laughs) So we complain about delays. Do you realize it takes five hours to get from New York to Los Angeles? That used to take 30 years. (laughs) You used to have children on the way. And you would arrive with a completely different group than the one you started with. We laugh at those kinds of things. Because it's true. You and I have been programmed to want it quick, want it fast, we're like that little girl from Willy Wonka, you know? We want it now! And advertisers know this, that's why they promise you subs that are freaky fast. <laughs> in old changes in under 15 minutes. In cell phone service that's faster than any other. Because they know that every one of us in this room is likely living life in a hurry. It's like that, that old country song by Alabama. I'm in a hurry to get things done. I rush and rush until life's no fun. But all I really got to do is live and die. But I'm in a hurry, and I don't know why. Anybody relate? Like confession time, a few hands went up, yeah, I admit admitted. Like you have more things to do than you have time to do it. You get impatient with your kids, impatient with your spouse, the waitress takes too long, the line at the grocery is too long, the internet speeds too slow, and that person in front of me on the road won't hurry up! (laughs) Grandma! Grandma! Because every one of us in this room has an area in your life where you think You shouldn't have to wait. And the problem is, if we're not careful, that attitude will spill over into how we approach God. It has for Habakkuk. You see, he's not frustrated and impatient with daily inconveniences like grocery lines or cell phone service. He's impatient with the creator of all things. That's how the book starts. Verse 2 of chapter 1, what does he say, "O oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear?" Remember we talked about that last week. Habakkuk's question right out of the gate is, "How long until you do something?" That's because Habakkuk lives in a time of great uncertainty. He's in the cloud, he's in the fog of uncertainty in his life. The lifestyle of people has been spiraling downward. The leadership, when he looks around, is a joke. The law of God, the Word of God doesn't even matter anymore even to the people of God and he sees all this uncertainty he has no idea where the future's headed and he comes to God with his questions when are you going to do something and God answered I am doing a work Habakkuk here's my work I'm going to send the Babylonians to judge you and you'll remember from last week Habakkuk thought I think I liked it better when you didn't answer And he enters into a time of confusion where he's wrestling with the strangeness of God's actions. Notice where he picks it up in verse 12. He comes to God with this second question. Are You not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, You have ordained them as judgment, and You, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes, than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Do you see what Habakkuk's doing there? He's saying, "Oh, Holy One, you whose eyes are so pure, you cannot look upon evil. Habakkuk is stating all the things he knows about God. God, I know You're holy. I know You're pure. I know what You do is right. But, look at 13b. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? Translation, how can you use the Babylonians, who are more evil than we are, to judge us? Here's the tension. I know you're holy. I know you're pure. I know that you don't do anything that's wrong, but this feels wrong. Who you are and what you're doing don't seem to line up. And that's a struggle for Habakkuk. I bet it's a struggle for you. When what you know is true about God and what it seems God is doing or what God does is confusing. Habakkuk is having to wrestle with this truth that every one of us is going to have to come to grips with too. A finite man will never fully comprehend the ways of an infinite God. That's hard, isn't it? It's like a a scene from Chronicles of Narnia. There's a scene here where Aslan, who represents God, is walking down the beach. He's walking away. And and Lucy, who represents the, the humanity, sees him and doesn't understand why he's leaving. So Mr. Tomness comes, and they have a conversation about the strangeness of Aslan's ways. We'll see him again. When? In time. One day he'll be here, and the next he won't. But you mustn't press him. After all, he's not a tame lion. No. He is good. Yeah. You need it more than I do. That's exactly what Habakkuk has to learn. God is not a tame lion, but He is good. And there are times I don't understand. There are times it doesn't make sense when what I know is true about God and what I'm experiencing do not line up. And in that moment, I have to realize, I have to be reminded that God is not tame. I cannot put Him in my little box. I don't put a leash around His neck and walk Him around like He's some little puppy dog having to obey whatever I command Him to do. And this struggling with God's actions, this struggling with what God is doing, brings even more questions, and now we find Habakkuk in a place where he has to wait again for God to answer. Notice what he does in verse 1 of chapter 2. He says, I will take my stand at my watch post. And station himself on the tower and look to see what he will say to me and answer concerning my complaint. So Habakkuk does this. He climbs up in his little tower, his little watch post, and he's waiting to see what's God going to say. And he waits. And he waits. We don't know for how long, but finally God answers And this is almost comical if you're following the narrative of Habakkuk as to what God says to Habakkuk. Look at verse 3. For still the vision awaits the appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. In other words, it's still coming. I haven't changed my mind. But then notice what God says. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. So here's the image. Habakkuk in chapter 1 is how long, how long, how long? Well, the Babylonians are coming. But that doesn't make any sense at all. And now he's in his watchtower, waiting, waiting, waiting. God, when are you going to act? When are you going to do this? And then when God does answer, what is God's answer? Wait. Like, I have to believe that's the last thing in the world Habakkuk wanted to hear. Because He, like you and I, in our moment of uncertainty, feel like that's all I am doing, God, is waiting. And now i got to wait some more? I don't understand why I have to wait. It's like the the kid, you can relate to this, in the back seat of the van on the family vacation. How much longer? Five more minutes. How much longer? Five more minutes. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? I, I saw this comic strip one time that I thought was so appropriate It says here, you got mom and dad in the the front seat, and it says, no, we're not there yet. Daddy has to reverse off the drive first. We're not even out of the driveway, and we're already asking, are we there yet? That's what Habakkuk is doing. When are you going to do something, and then yet your answer to me is, you're going to have to Wait. Don't you hate, like, can anybody, like, feel Habakkuk's tension here? Like, I know, I've been there, and that's not what I want to hear. But here's the reality, Berean, listen. If you read your Bible, and I hope that you will, what you're going to find is, unlike our culture, God thinks it's a good thing for His people to wait. And that goes against everything we're programmed to do in this culture, isn't it? But in the Old Testament, you see it everywhere. God gives promises, and many of them died without seeing those promises fulfilled. They were waiting for them. Jesus comes. The disciples are convinced that He's going to establish the kingdom of God on earth right now. Politically and socially. After Jesus dies and is resurrected, He overhears on the road to, Damas- on the road to Emmaus, the disciples saying... We thought He was going to restore Israel. We thought it was going to be now. In the New Testament epistles, you have churches that are in a tizzy because they're all concerned, when is the Lord coming? When is the Lord coming? And Peter has to write in 2 Peter chapter 3, they'll say, where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. In other words, people are going to say, when is it? When is it? When is it? When is it? And Peter has to say, chill. Don't overlook this fact, beloved. That with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day. Now you need to, you need to note this. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise. Look right here, Bree, right here, right here. When you're going through a time of uncertainty, the first thing you need and the last thing you want is patience. And yet, that is precisely what God is calling us to do wait. And the reason we struggle with that is because we have a tendency to think that patience is a character trait. How many of you have ever heard people talk like this? My wife is really patient. Or my dad, is he's not a very patient man. What's going on in that? It's Patience is either something you have or something you don't have. The problem with that is the Bible. Because the Bible says that patience isn't a character trait, it's a sign as to whether or not the Spirit of God is in control of your life. That hurt, didn't it? For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, say it, patience. When you don't walk by patience, it's because you're walking according to the flesh, not according to the Spirit. Anybody like me kind of cringe when you read that list and get to patience and think, can I just... Erase that out of my Bible. Why is that? Because we all suffer with something that Tim Keller beautifully calls assumed omniscience. Omniscience is the idea of being all-knowing. And assumed omniscience is this. We assume we know how things should be going. and, And we wouldn't like to admit it that like, we're omniscient. We wouldn't say it that way. But deep down inside, we think we have, or should have, all the answers. It's why James writes in James chapter 4, and verse 13, he says, Come, you who say, today or tomorrow, we'll go into such and such a town, spend a year there, trade and make a profit. So, so what's the point? I'm going to go here and I'm going to do this. and I've got my little laminated... Uh, You know, vacation plan, and it's on the refrigerator, and we're going to follow my schedule to a T. Anybody like that? We're going to go here. We're going to do this. I've got it all planned out. But what does James say? The most horrifying thing he could say to many of us: "Yet you do not know." And that's a hard pill to swallow. What you should say. James tells us, is this. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Some of you are unsettled right now. You're anxious. You're freaking out. Because something you think should have already happened in your life hasn't happened yet. You should be pregnant by now. You should be married by now. You should know where your life is headed by now. Your marriage should have made more progress by now. You should be further along financially by now. And you're so frustrated because you think, I know X ought to be happening, and it hasn't happened yet. And it's driving you crazy. But here's the truth, dear friend. Sometimes you're in chapter 2 of your story, assuming you already know how it's going to end, but you don't know. The good news is, God does. And if we're willing to submit to Him, to His will, to His way, to His plan, we can find hope in the midst of our uncertainty. It is a deliberate act of submission to say, I don't know, but God does. And I'm okay with that. And the perfect example we have of this is when we look at the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus facing the uncertainty of facing the cross, the wrath of the Father being poured out on Him because of the sin of mankind. And in the midst of that uncertainty, Jesus, sweating drops of blood, is able to say, Not My will, but Yours. And he's able to turn to a disciple who has pulled out his little sissy sword and doesn't even know how to swing it because he wants the kingdom of God now and say, Peter, put your sword away. Wait. And I tell you, I don't stand up here preaching this as though this is easy. I don't even pretend to think that there are some of you in this room, who are not at a point in your life where waiting seems like the most terrifying thing to do. And yet, there's a reason we must learn it. There's a reason we must submit in this area. And it's what God is about to teach Habakkuk in verse 4. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. Brian, that's the point of the book. That's the point of this uncertainty is there's two types of people. There's the puffed up the assumed omniscient one, the one who thinks they have all the answers, they can figure it out, they are strong enough to work hard enough to figure their life out. That's arrogance and pride and anti-god. The one who is approved by God, the one who pleases God, is, that is the just, the one that is right before God, is the one who lives by faith. Now listen closely. Here's the point. Our ability to wait on God demonstrates that we have faith in God. God. And it's that faith in God that tells us we actually belong to God. For without faith, it is impossible to please Him, Hebrews says. You see, Habakkuk thinks the main issue is when, 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 when. Come on, let's go. And God is saying, no, no, no. The main issue, Habakkuk, in your life is wait, wait wait, because when you wait on me by faith in me, that's when I know you belong to me. Brian, when we face uncertainty, when our country is in turmoil, when your life is in confusion, when your family is in chaos, what separates the people of God from everybody else is whether or not we can live by That's why when you go to passages, and I'd love to preach a sermon out of it, but I don't have time for that, maybe another day. Like Hebrews 11. And you see this long list of people. Moses and Abraham and Noah and Isaac and on and on and on. I mean, what a a group. I mean, you study their story, they're like a bunch of rednecks at a NASCAR race. I mean, they are crazy. They do insane things. They are not perfect in any way. They had no idea what God was doing in their life. Are you kidding me? But they had faith. When Abraham was holding up that knife over his son, he's not thinking in that moment, this is going to make a great children's story for vacation Bible school. He's thinking, what are you doing? Are you going to intervene at any moment? Am I actually going to go through with this? He didn't have all the answers, but he had faith. When God comes to Noah and says, I'm going to send a flood, Noah's response is not sure, I'll go over to Home Depot and get some lumber. It's rain, flood, ark, that doesn't make any sense at all. He did not have the answers, but He had faith. And what was true for all of them is true for all of us, that when you have faith, it's all the evidence you will ever need and all the assurance you could hope for. The just. The approved. The one who pleases God is the one who lives by His faith The one who looks outside himself, outside herself, and finds answers not in you, but in someone else. And the truth is, this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that's not new. Let me ask you this question. Why is God defining for Habakkuk here that this life is to be a life of faith? Why? Why is all of Christian life to be a life of faith? Here's why. I come in close here. Because that's how your relationship with God started. Think about it. When, when you became a Christian, if you're here and you're a Christ follower, how did you become a Christian? And if you're not a Christian, listen to this, because here's how you can become a Christian. You know how you became a Christ follower? I'll tell you how you became a Christ follower if you're a Christ follower. You came to the point in your life where you said, I don't have all the answers. I can't save myself. I can't do enough. I can't do enough to be right with God so what I have to do is trust that what Jesus did on the cross in dying for my sins and being raised on the third day, that that was enough for me. I believe it, I trust it, I receive it, that's how you were saved. That's how this morning you can be saved if you would have faith and believe in Jesus for the first time. Now here's my question, here's my question, if you were willing to do that with your eternity, then why aren't you willing to do that with your now? if you were willing at the beginning of your coming to faith in Jesus and and having a relationship with God, if you were willing to say, God, I think You're big enough that I can trust You with my eternity, then should we not also be able to say that right now, in 2014, in the midst of my fog, I can trust You with this as well see, that's why the Bible in the New Testament takes Habakkuk 2.4, the just shall live by faith, and runs crazy with it because it's at the essence of the Gospel. For we were saved by grace through faith. Romans 5.1, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Galatians, we know that no one will be justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ faith is what brought you a relationship with Jesus and faith is what defines your relationship with Jesus so this morning what what I'm asking you to do is to submit and it's hard folks it's hard but to submit and say I admit I don't know I don't know And I'm going to pray that the Spirit of God would work in me to produce patience. And I'm going to to get up in the the watchtower and and I'm going to wait. And I'm going to watch to see what God's going to do. And I don't know how long He's going to take, but, but I'm going to get my thinking higher. I'm not going to be focused on the fog. I'm going to get up above the fog and trust. And maybe for some of you, for the first time in your life, would say, I'm going to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior because I can't find the answer. And I'm trusting that He is. i close with this. You know by now I love church history and one of my favorite guys in church history is a man by the name of Martin Luther. Martin Luther faced a lot of uncertainty in his life. In fact, he was terrified at the idea of standing before God as a judge. His father was a lawyer. He didn't follow that vocation, but he lived with this constant fear that one day I'm going to stand before God. He's walking down the road one day in a thunderstorm. He thinks he's going to die. So he makes a deal with God save me and I'll become a monk. I'll become a monk. I'll become a monk. God saved him and he became a monk. He didn't take a wife at that time. He didn't want sex or family to be a distraction. He taught theology because he thought that had to count for something. He gave his money away because he didn't want wealth to be a distraction. He felt like if I punish my body, that somehow would count before God in some way. And so he slept on the floor. He gave up the foods that he loved to the point that he actually had an intestinal problem. The priest would go to confession, you know, a time or two a day, but Luther would go every day and stay all day. In fact, the other priest got mad at him because they thought he was trying to get out of work. Just go to confession all day. And deep down, he knew it wasn't enough. He kept trying to solve the problem fast and now until one day. He came across Romans chapter 1, verse 17, where Paul quotes Habakkuk 2, 4. The just, the approved before God, lives by His faith. And here's what Luther said. At last, meditating day and night by the mercy of God, I begin to understand that the righteousness of God is that through which the righteous live by a gift from God. They live by faith. And he said, Here I felt as if I were entirely born again and had entered paradise through the gates that had been flung open. You see, Berean, Luther learned what Habakkuk had to learn, what every one of us in this room must learn, is that when you're in the midst of uncertainty and life is anything but amazing and you're doing everything you can to try to find happiness, you will not find peace by trying harder. And you will not find peace by going faster or trying to get all your answers now. You will only find peace when you learn to live by faith. Let's pray. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. God, I pray that your word would penetrate our hearts this morning. I pray for that family, that marriage, that person right now that it's in the midst of uncertainty they don't know what's going on and I pray Lord that you would take these words this morning and speak to them right now help them be transformed from a person who wants it now to a person who's willing to wait by faith in the one who knows better than we do So Lord, as we sing, as we hear and listen to this song, I pray God that we would be ministered to by Your Spirit. For Your glory we pray. Amen.